Corporate Unplugged opens the door to a world of people transforming business. They share their dreams, their experiences, and what they would never give up. So I'm so glad to have Eric Edmeets here with me. Welcome to my podcast, Eric. Glad to be here. Eric is an author, international business speaker, and serial entrepreneur. He has owned businesses in a variety of industries, ranging from mobile computing to Hollywood special effects, where he worked on blockbusters like Avatar and movies like The Pirates of the Caribbean. And today he's working with entrepreneurs and business owners from all over the world to inspire and empower them to achieve their full potential. So Eric, uh, you've spent around 20 years launching, buying, selling, and turning around businesses in six countries, and you've logged around 10,000 hours on stage all over the world. The important question is why? What impact do you wish to have? My mother's grandfather was a minister in the South African parliament, and I think it's called the Volkskrad. He proposed the formation of the Kruger National Park, which is uh, one of maybe what I believe to be one of the most important nature reserves in the world. And maybe because of that, I grew up with a real focus on environment. I'm a wildlife photographer. I've spent a huge amount of time out on the oceans of the world and in the game reserves around the world mm -hmm. and in nature in general. And I think a lot about the, the difficulties that we're facing on the planet at the moment. And I think the, the biggest difficulty we face is that most people are so busy taking care of their basic survival needs that they don't have the capacity to actually do what matters. They, they don't have the capacity to reduce the plastics in the ocean or the air pollution and water pollution. They don't have the capacity to. So what happened in my case is I thought, how am I going to influence this best? And for a short time, I thought about running for government. And then I, I really looked at the way government works. And frankly, it, to me, in most countries, it looks pretty ineffectual. I mean, unless I could be like a benevolent dictator. But I don't yeah. think that job is going currently. I, I see a few people going for it, trying for it, but I don't <laughs> think it's available to me. And uh, I realized that what I really wanted to do is go out and do it in an educational way, in an inspirational way, like go out and, and impact people. And it occurred to me that the very best people to work with, the very best people to influence would be business owners and the entrepreneurially minded. Because going out and trying to influence politicians, well, frankly, that's just expensive and it seems impractical and I don't think it's all that useful. And trying to influence the average person on the street, I don't know, you know, yeah. but there's something that happens with the people that like start their own businesses. They're compelling people and I've found something out. When you teach them how to run a business really well, they get bored. And then once they get bored, they go do stuff. Maybe they start another company which creates more jobs and more tax revenue or they start a social project. Mm -hmm. And so I realized that the way that I could have the biggest leverage and the biggest impact on people was to go out and help people get their businesses on track. What transformational points in your life have influenced you the most? I think I'm like most other people, the most painful ones. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's some things that have happened in my life that at the time I thought they were the worst possible thing that could possibly happen. And it turns out, you know, as usual, they're the best possible thing. And mm. one of the biggest ones, I mean, in a real foundational way was that I was the first employee of a startup company in Vancouver, Canada. And after a number of years working for the company and a litany of broken promises, I, I found myself in a situation where I couldn't work for that company anymore. And then worse than that, when I resigned my position to the company, they refused to pay me. You know, they owed me what would be the equivalent, let's call it about a year, a year and a half salary, and they just refused to pay it to me. And so I found myself with no money. 
and I was living in England because I'd just been relocated there, so I'm not from England, and I'm in this foreign country. I have a new wife who happens to have a new baby in her belly, and I suddenly don't have a job anymore, and my boss has an interesting relationship with ethics, and I'm not getting paid, and all of a sudden, I'm faced with reality. And at the time, it was one of the most difficult things I could go through, but what it drove me to do is two things. One is to recognize that there's no such thing as job security. There really isn't. You know, I, I now think of employment, and I'm not down on employment. I'm, you know, I think that there could be a huge amount of reward in, in a great job, but I think that people have to realize that when they're an employee, they're basically a business owner that have one product and one customer. Their product is their time and their customer is their employer. No business owner would be happy with only one product and one customer. And so that was a big realization for me. And then the second one was it was time for me to stretch my wings. And that's what made me start my first business. Not out of any great entrepreneurial bravery or anything. I just had to pay the rent. And had that not happened, I don't know. I'm not sure what would have happened. But I, and now, I, of course, I look back and I'm grateful. And uh, if you assume all doors are open to you and you have all kinds of resources available, what would you then innovate or change? You know, be it on a business level or on a bigger level? One of the toughest transitions that we as a society are going to need to go through is automated workforce. Mm. You know, we're in a weird position. Democracy, of course, you know, mm. I'm not the first one to say that it's the best of all the terrible systems for running countries. And one of the problems with democracy is that often the majority voting in self-interest doesn't have the interest of the majority in mind. Mm. And, you know, I remember reading in California, for example, that um, the baby boomers at one point voted through some legislation because they owned democracy. The baby boomers owned the process. I mean, there were so many of them that as long as they voted, they would win. And they voted for tax provisions that would really help them in their retirement, but that would really hurt the state. Mm. And so democracy has its flaws that way. I would argue that even something like Brexit, Brexit was one as an anomaly of a number of things, including a lot of dishonesty on both sides, mm. but also baby boomers. It was mostly baby boomers that voted in that direction. And so I think that we have a problem with workforce automation where as more robotics come in and more workforce automation comes in, mm. we're going to have a blue collar rebellion against that. Maybe part of what we're seeing in the Trumpism thing mm. is that we're going to have the population voting against that. But the problem is, is that there's a transition where I believe that the next version of economy in our world is where the governments are providing their populations with basic economics. Yeah, and I know mm. that Finland is testing this now. I believe there's communities in Canada that are testing it where the government gives people a basic living wage, mm. not welfare, mm. not charity, a basic living wage. And the problem is that in order for governments to do that, mm. we're going to need a whole lot more workforce automation. And then the challenge we have with that is that as you start, there's going to be a transitional period that's really difficult mm. where people are losing their jobs to workforce automation. They're going to vote against it. And I think if there's one change that I could really make from a, on an economic level, it would be to speed that process up somehow. Like one of the things I think is that if a company wants to put robots in mm. to replace their workforce, they should have to pay the equivalent income tax that that person would have had to pay anyway on a scaled down version over the case of five years so they can pay for the wages of the people who are no longer working. Mm. In other words, it's not just for the company's profitability, but for social good. Mm. I also have a second one. And the second one is I really believe that we have a major food mm. production problem. And I'm not talking about food scarcity. I'm talking about as long as the food industry is profit-driven, then it's profit-driven at the expense of the population. And the reason that cancer is, you know, what, it, what heart disease is the number one killer. One in three people uh, with heart disease, diabetes is exploding around the world. And I think that from a personal quality of life perspective, mm. one of the biggest changes we need to make is to the way that food regulations and food production is managed. 
And there you, you have this WildFit program, you know, working for that uh, benefit. Same thing there, because you see, I got that to try to go and influence the government, really difficult. To try to go and influence a manufacturer, a food product manufacturer, it's really, it's not impossible. Mm -hmm. Our biggest publisher, Mind Valley, recently the, the, the CEO of the company produced a video that outed a food product made by, I think, Nestle. And Nestle ended up having to change their food grading because they had millions of people sharing the video. Mm. And so we can affect the manufacturers, but you know, mm. in order to affect the manufacturers, the very best way to do that is to affect the people. Mm. And so when we created WildFit, the entire idea behind that was to change people's relationship with food, not to give them a bunch of rules and ask them to follow them by willpower, mm. but to actually psychologically change the relationship with food so that they would change their buying patterns. And by changing their buying patterns, we can change the manufacturers. Mm awareness and understanding yeah. and I'm actually taking that program so I'm very happy I'm halfway oh good deal good deal that's exciting <laughs> yeah and what do you think is the most important thing for companies right now I mean if we think about all companies what is that is there one thing that you would like them to prioritize or really fight for their people mm. I think that too often companies, especially as they get bigger, start to think of people like commodities. Like I even think about my first boss that I mentioned before. I remember sitting in one day with a meeting with him and looking at his business plan and his business plan was just reduced to a spreadsheet. And basically he was just saying, well, I just need one more of you and then I'll have another one of you and another one of you. And I'm like, there isn't another one of me. I'm not saying there aren't other really great sharp people out there, but as long as you treat people yeah. like objects, you're gonna have a problem. And, that, and that's precisely what he did. Yeah. And I think these days companies do that too often. For example, times get tough. The first thing they think about is layoffs. Well, you know, there are more creative ways of dealing. I was reading about a company the other day. I wish I could remember the name of it. But they, instead of offering layoffs when they needed to do layoffs technically, mm. instead what they did is they mandated a policy of extended vacation, unpaid vacation time. And they went to the workforce and said, look, we can either lay off a whole lot of people or we can create a mandatory period of four weeks of unpaid vacation that everybody has to take. Mm. And then something really fascinating happened, if I remember this correctly, that some of the people really like needed the money and couldn't afford the time off. And so other people that really didn't need the money, they only took two weeks and then they traded the two weeks with other people. You yeah. see, I think that when people are given love, when they're, when they're given caring, then they tend to become more loving and more caring. And, and I think that if companies took better care of their people, uh, you know, I think that that would uh, yeah. cause some really interesting ripple effects. So true, thanks for pointing that out. And what do you think, an even bigger question, what do you think the world needs most at this time? Yeah, that's a really tough one. You know, I, um, you know, if you go to America, then you get all these people like debating global warming and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I think that it's ridiculous. Uh, and I don't mean that the overall conversation is ridiculous. I think that the labeling of stuff becomes ridiculous because the minute you call it global warming, now you have to discuss the science and is the yeah. planet warming? Do we, we first have to debate that? And then we can say, well, no, it's not really warming. The reason we think it's warming is that is that over the last 200 years, the only place we've ever really taken the temperature is in cities and the cities have been growing. And so clearly they've been getting warmer. And then the other people go and they say, yeah, but at the Arctic Circle, this is going on. And then we end up in a debate. And then we go, okay, well, okay, it is warming. Maybe now we agree it's warming. So now the next question is, are people causing the warming. Well, now we have this a scientist and this scientist, and now we just end up in a debate. Here's what we don't have to debate. There is an enormous amount of plastic floating around in our oceans, killing sea turtles and whales and all kinds of other sea life. There is air quality problems all over the place. There are cities that people have to wear masks on their face just to get to school. And so why we have to label it and argue about it and politicize it and make it about the next election drives me up the wall.
What we really need to do is acknowledge that we live in this delicate, beautiful, blue, thin layer of life around the rock that we call our planet. And we're destroying that thin layer. No matter what we call it, we are destroying it. We're cutting down the trees. We're polluting the waters. We're pushing animals into extinction. I read just the other day that the last male, northern white rhino, is about to die. We're losing yet another massive species. I mean, we lose small species all the time. And so I think that we have to realize that this is our home and it's the home that our children are going to inherit and their children. And we need to start thinking a little bit more long-term about our lives. Mm. We need to start thinking about alternative energy sources. We need to stop cutting down our trees. We need to stop poisoning the oceans. And we need to stop arguing about what to call it. Mm. And you live now in the Dominican Republic. I do. You yeah. travel a lot, but that's your base, right? Yeah. Why the choice? You know, I, there are a lot of reasons. Mostly it just came down to lifestyle for me. I was traveling all the time and what I wanted to do is return home somewhere that had consistent weather. You know, I, I grew up in Canada and as you and I are sitting here, it basically looks like Canada out there to me. I mean, the, the, the ocean is frozen. You know, there's not a lot of places that the ocean can freeze, right? I grew up ice skating on the ocean, right? You know, so I wanted to live somewhere where I had consistent weather. You know, when I was a child, my grandparents owned a house on a beach called Plettenberg Bay in South Africa. And we used to go there for our Christmas vacations. And it's funny, my mom came to visit me in the DR recently and she looked at the way I'm living and the surf pounding on the beach just off, you know, right here. And she goes, oh, you just moved back to your childhood. <laughs> and so I suspect that that's a big part of it for me. And the other part of it was a little bit more thought out. And that was, you know, my, my wife and I, about five years ago, we created a list of all the places that we might want to live in because, you know, we, we could live anywhere we wanted. And, and we created a list of all the different places. And every place we came up with, there was a reason it didn't work and a reason it didn't work. And, and then all of a sudden we went to go visit the, the DR and we were there for three days and we just fell in love with it. And what it largely had to do with was the people. Mm. And the people of the Dominican Republic are sweet and kind and loving and it's just such a beautiful environment to be living mm. in. And the American food system hasn't destroyed the place yet. Mm. You know, while their diet there from a local perspective could certainly improve, there's a lot of sugar in the diet and that kind of stuff. Mm. The fact is that my little girl is growing up and the only time she ever sees a McDonald's sign is when she's in America. And the only time she ever sees KFC and Wendy's and you know Tim Hortons and Krispy Kreme. And the only time she ever sees that stuff is when we travel to America. Now she grows up completely without it. And you know what one of my favorite thing is? I don't know if it was like this for you when you were a kid, but when I was a kid, my parents had to yell at me to get me to come inside. And now you got parents yelling at their kids to get them to go outside. I don't have to do that. My little girl is 18 months old and one of the very first words she learned was outside because all she ever wants to do is go outside. She holds her hands up in the air and she goes, uppy, uppy, and I lift her up and she goes, outside, outside. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons that I live mm, there. Mm. That's a good reason. So Eric, um, just very brief, this was a super brief uh, podcast. I normally, you know, at least half an hour, but this is the time you have and this is the time we, we are enjoying this. So. Thank you. Uh, how was it the little time you were on the podcast? I get interviewed quite a lot. And yeah. what I really notice is when somebody's actually engaged, they've actually done a little bit of research or they've yeah. looked into what's going on. I mean, the questions you've asked me are right on my mind all the time. Mm. I didn't know these questions. I got Sometimes when we do really complex interviews, they send yeah. me over the... I had no idea what we we're going to be talking about. <laughs> what I really liked about it, and I'm happy to do a follow-up another time. Maybe yeah. we can do one across Zoom or something. Yeah. I'm happy to or do that. Or in Sardinia. Or in Sardinia. Are we yeah. going to meet Sardinia yeah, together? Yeah. Awesome. Fest. Let's mm -hmm. do that at A-Fest. Okay. So I'm happy to take a look at doing that at A-Fest. Okay. But I'll tell you what I like most about it is it's a conversation. Mm. It's a chat. Okay. 
And, and I love that style of interview. Mm -hmm. So it's really been pleasant. Thank you. Thank you. And is there anybody in specific that you would recommend me to? To interview? Yeah. Well, I mean, you're going to be in Sardinia. You got to interview Vishen Lakiani if you haven't had yeah, a chance to yeah, do that. Yeah. I, I really, I think he's really fascinating, and I think yeah. he's got a lot to teach the world. Okay. In the food world, you know, as you're in WildFit right now, I'm really fascinated by the work that Mark Hyman is doing. Mm. Uh, you know, his new book, Food, has just come out recently, and I mm. think he's definitely worth interviewing. And Tony Robbins' team members? You know, absolutely. I think, I mean, if you can get Tony on your podcast, I would absolutely do it. He's a mm. fascinating guy to interview. You just have to make sure he doesn't interview you because mm. he's so <laughs> curious all the time. It might turn into a reverse interview. But I think those are some of the okay. ones that I would recommend for sure. Thank you so much. So thank you, Eric. Thanks for sharing. You're a great inspiration and true humanity plus person, as Vision says. And to find out more about Eric and his work, you can head to ericedmeads.com. It's spelled Eric with a C and then Edmeades. Uh, remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. And I truly appreciate if you share this episode with your network and friends for impact. Thanks for listening. And until next time, live with purpose and remember to unplug. Ciao.